all. Welcome to another episode of the Good Newscast. Um, I am very excited about uh, this episode and probably uh, some forthcoming episodes along with it. Uh, I'll introduce our guest uh, here in just a minute, Jason, member at our church here at Redeemer. You have probably seen, heard of a documentary that came out on Amazon called Shiny Happy People. Um, it is about uh, the world of IBLP Institute in basic life principles okay iblp um you if you haven't seen the documentary it also centers around the duggar family they used to have a show i think 19 kids and counting pretty much everybody knows that show knows who they are they were a part of iblp even though the show obviously never really focused on that um and so the show or the documentary shiny happy people uh kind of revolves around their life and and in particular using that as a gateway to talk about iblp and a lot that was going wrong in that institute let's call it that organization uh iblp i think recently uh jason was telling me before we hit record came out and said hey we're just we're not a church we are an institute an organization that teaches historic christianity um and so we are going to talk about iblp uh, what it teaches. Is it Christi- Christianity? Is it teaching uh, historic Christianity? Um, and here in a minute, I'll tell you why Jason's on this podcast. Now, let me give uh, a quick preface and intro. Some of the things we're going to talk about, and before we do get to them, whether it's on this episode or, or uh, ones later, uh, will uh, not be uh, appropriate for children. And so, Probably if you're 12 or 13 around that age, there's going to be a moment where we maybe say, hey, pause this, uh, go ask your parents if you can continue to listen, maybe listen with them. Um, But there are going to be some heavier things uh, that we talk about. As always, Good Newscast episodes are are first and foremost for uh, Christians, um, and uh, meaning we talk about things that, that oftentimes Christians, and particularly our church here in Waco, are already thinking about. And so we think this will be helpful. This first episode is going to probably not get into too many detailed things, but it's going to kind of stay a little bit more high level, a bit macro to talk about IBLP, their teachings, and basically answer the question is, are they teaching historic Christianity? Are they teaching uh, the Bible? So uh, if you've heard of the Duggars, if you've watched Shiny Happy People, if you've ever heard of Bill Gothard and his teachings, maybe you've been to a Bill Gothard conference in the past, his influence is extremely widespread uh, through teachings, conferences, books, that sort of thing. Um, If you've paid attention at all, I think this is going to be very helpful. Now, let me introduce Jason. Jason is a member uh, at Redeemer here in Waco with us, and Jason uh, was a part of IBLP. Uh, He was uh, a part of that world uh, for about 18 years, and, uh, and therefore has a, a, a massive amount of personal experience in that world, understanding IBLP, understanding their teachings, um, and ultimately understanding where they are going severely uh, and dangerously wrong. So uh, let's get into it. Jason, thank you for being here. You're the man, by the way. You are the man. We love you here at Redeemer. Um, we love your family and your beautiful children. How did you end up in IBLP? Where did that all start? Give us kind of the the context for your your experience in IBLP. Well, thanks, Colin, and thanks for the opportunity. So 
I don't remember a time when I was not an IBLP, but I generally date uh, the beginning of my time in IBLP at about six years old. So we're going to call that 1986. And I generally date the uh, end of my involvement with IBLP uh, at the time that I moved uh, from California to Texas. So we're going to call that 2004. When were you born? I was born in 81. Okay. Yeah. So you were a, a young boy. Right. Okay. I was a young boy. So I, I don't really remember a time, uh, a time before IBLP. Yeah. So in the late eighties, uh, my father became the area coordinator for California. Now that's kind of a mouthful, but what that means is he was responsible for scheduling and coordinating the facilities for the basic seminar and the homeschool conference. What that means is that he had direct access to Gothard, and uh, about twice a year, uh, you know, Gothard would be out there in California, and uh, each night we would, or most nights, we would end up going to dinner with Gothard, and most of the time there was, you know, 20 to 30 people. So I just say this to kind of establish that I was not a fringe member of the cult. Uh, I was very deeply uh, involved and deeply... uh, uh, deeply connected within it. You you didn't just read a Bill Gothard book one time. You it, were in it. I I was in it. I lived it. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. I was the blue and white poster child. Yeah. Um. I would say that about the time I was uh, eighteen or nineteen, I kind of started a process that we would now call deconstruction. Uh, I didn't know the term at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for and these timelines, because because nothing is binary, right? It's mm-hmm. all kind of in and out. Uh, I would say that there was a period of about two years where I was either atheist or agnostic, at which point God in his mercy brought in his grace, uh, brought me to salvation. Wow. So uh, putting an exact date and time on, on when I became saved would be difficult, but I would say it was probably about 21. Wow. I think that's, you know, uh, I think that's a big deal right there that you just said that, that you were atheist agnostic for a time, because I have found that people that come out of these kinds of movements and these kinds of worlds, and, and we, you saw it in the documentary too, like a lot of the people in the documentary who get interviewed, I feel like if I'm remembering the right documentary, you know what, man, I watched the one on uh, Hillsong on Hulu. Yeah. A lot of those people end up coming out and saying, I am not a Christian anymore. Yes. And while we want to acknowledge the truth of uh, God's election at the same time, what I will say is that my observation is that a higher than average percentage of people that come out of IBLP uh, will be either atheist or agnostic. Yeah, wow. All right, so you were in it. You were not fringe at all. You are a part of this world. Um, it was in my blood. As, as Jeff would say, it was in my bones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so let's cut to the heart of the matter. Um, you, you have, you, I mean, no one better can, can uh, analyze from that kind of perspective of being in it as to what they taught. So we will probably get into other, um, you know, what was practiced uh, uh, in other episodes more. But the heart of the matter is what did they teach, right? Yes. Because you can, you can have an organization, you can have a church that is solid doctrinally um, and you know, you find out that the pastor has embezzled a million dollars, but the pastor believes the Bible. He believes the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Okay. Um, and, and we find out, yes, he's a big sinner and he's been in unrepentant sin. Okay. 
there's a difference between that and an institution or, or, or an organization where you not only find very sinful practices, which the documentary uncovers a lot of that, but then when you analyze their teaching, you go, well, wait a minute, is the teaching even Christian? So what do you, th- they recently came out and said, we're teaching historic Christianity. We're teaching the Bible. True or false? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's insightful. I mean, to your point, uh, we're all sinners. We found out that Gothard was a singer. Big whoop. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 no surprise, right? Yeah. But the response uh, in the in the community that I've seen it has been, but it's such good teaching. So we need to yeah. we need to say, yeah. is this historic Christianity? Is this good teaching? So this is the the kind of the thesis that I'm going to state, and then kind of go through and try to prove. Got it. Uh, IBLP is Gnosticism paired with legalism, wrapped in the prosperity gospel. I'm going to say that again. Clear as mud. Yeah. <laughs> IBLP is Gnosticism paired with legalism wrapped in the prosperity gospel. Now, we need to define some of those terms, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when you say Gnosticism, what do you mean? Right. So Gnosticism uh, is a ancient heresy. It's defined as the thought and practice, especially of various cults uh, early on in the church, uh, distinguished by the conviction that matter is evil and that emancipation comes through esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth that is essential to salvation. That's a Merriam-Webster def- definition. So basically, body is evil. You need to be emancipated from the body. You need to be freed from the body. Um, and there's secret knowledge that you have to know to be to, to be saved. Uh, Gnosticism was defined as heresy at the Council of Nicaea. And uh, even today, both Catholics and Protestants will recite the Nicene Creed. So there were some other uh, there were some other heresies going on at the same time, Arianism and whatnot, that the Nicene Creed was designed to uh, combat. But Gnosticism was one of them. Um, so it is it has been considered heresy for millennia. I think this just to bring this, I'll kind of bring these definitions down to the ground. What this can look like for you know, because that can seem like, oh, if that's what Gnosticism Gnosticism is, I've never encountered it. Gnosticism could be, or at least the vibe of it essentially could be this feeling like my pastor teaches the Bible, but then he also seems to have like insight into God and the spiritual world that he's getting somewhere else. And I need to figure out how to get that. And if I, if I get that kind of secret spiritual knowledge that he's somehow getting, then I can level up in Christianity. Absolutely. There's Gnosticism, right? Your Bible, essentially it's saying the Bible's not enough. The word of God is not enough. There's other knowledge out there about God and the things of God. If I get it, I level up. Um, That's that's essentially how practical it can be. Absolutely. All right. You said it's paired, that Gnosticism, that idea, and I assume, we'll probably get into this, I assume that can be connected to like a Bill Gothard. I need to get the knowledge that he has. Yep. Paired with legalism. What do we mean by that? Yeah. So legalism is is uh, defined as excess, excessive adherence to law or formula. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you're listening to a podcast. One of my favorite podcasts is Renew, Renewing Your Mind with R.C. Sproul. And recent, recently, they had a rebroadcast of one of his that was talking about legalism, which was really good. And uh, he broke legalism down uh, into, into three types. First, he says that the essence of Christian theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. A legalist isolates rules and laws from God and seeks to obey rules without relationship. Okay, so then he breaks that down into uh, into three types of legalism. 
One is where you abstract God's law from its original context. Uh, so basically, you're preoccupied with obeying rules and regulations, um, again, without relationship. Uh, the second is divorcing the spirit and the letter of the law. And then the third, and we're going to kind of focus on this one. Uh, Gother does all three of these, but we're going to focus on the third one. Adding legislation to God's law and treating it as divine law. So essentially saying, okay, you've got this Gnostic reality, and then it's paired with this, we could say, uh, obsession, this this unhealthy obsession with law and rules, um, even laws and rules that you don't find in the Bible that have now been added to the Bible without relationship. Love how Sproul says that. Um, because essentially you take out relationship. If I don't have a relationship with God, what am I doing with the law? I'm trying to follow the law to get that relationship rather than I already have the relationship. I'm already justified. I'm already accepted. I'm already a child of his. I have eternal life. And now I live my life according to his law and seek to. So it's without that relationship. It's this kind of like, I'm trying to get there. Okay. Gnosticism paired with legalism, um, wrapped up in prosperity gospel. What do we mean by prosperity gospel? So most people, when they think of prosperity gospel, it's, uh, you know, TV preachers that say, uh, give to my ministry and God will bless you. So it's not immediately obvious that Gothard was preaching a prosperity gospel, but instead of saying, give to my ministry and God will bless you, Gothard says, follow these rules and God will bless you. Uh, so, it's, it's still prosperity gospel. The prerequisite is still there. The prerequisite is different, uh, but the prerequisite is there before God blesses you. If you follow this secret knowledge, you'll level up in Christianity. A lot of times it's wrapped up in this uh, unhealthy obsession with following the rules. And ultimately, if I do that, if I can be good enough, I'm going to get blessing. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Do you want to break down, kind of take this slower? Those are kind of our big high level macro definitions of what we're talking about. Get into a bit more of how that actually played out in IBLP. Absolutely. With Gnosticism. Yeah. Okay. So let's focus on Gnosticism for just a sec. So, uh, and, and this is the point at which, uh, if you are, you know, 12, 13 years old, uh, you know, this is kind of a trigger warning. So, uh, you may want to skip ahead, get a parent, whatever. Um, we'll so, put in we'll put in the description too. If you want to pause, skip ahead, skip this part. That's fine. Uh, in the description of the podcast, there's probably a timestamp of what you can skip to. Yeah, to catch up. Yes. So, Gnosticism teaches that the body is evil. So, uh, Colin, can we put uh, pictures in the show notes? We could figure it out. Okay. So we're going to attach a uh, picture of a page that is about counseling sexual abuse. So this page is going to lead you to the conclusion that the body is less important than the soul and the spirit. Now, I, I want to pause here for just a second. Uh, Gothard is a trichotomist. He believes that there is a body, a soul, and a spirit, and that the soul and the spirit are separated. Uh, f- for many reasons that we're not going to go into this, into this podcast, that is heresy in and of itself. Uh, you have a body and you have a soul. Uh, but he would teach that um, your body is less important than your soul and your spirit and that the abuser damaged your body. It then goes on to victim blame 
uh, by asking you to evaluate if you cause the abuse by immodest dress, this is generally directed towards females, uh, or being out from under your parents' authority. And it, it, a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to talk about Gothard's umbrella of authority. Uh, but that's kind of a big teaching of his. But if you're out from under your parents' authority, uh, it then states that if you are not at fault, you will gain greater faith and spiritual power. Now, he never defines what spiritual power means, um, but he uh, he uses as an exa- Daniel as an example uh, because he was a wise eunuch. So the logic goes that Daniel became a eunuch and he became wise and powerful. Uh, so it follows the teachings of the body's evil, the spirit is good, while ignoring the effects uh, of abuse on a person's soul and matching it with victim blaming. I didn't r- write down the timestamp, but in Shiny Happy People, there is a girl that says, uh, we wished that we would be able to get sexual abuse so that we could have that spiritual power. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That alone. I mean, that alone. Like, I, I remember that. And even as you're talking, I remember that from the uh, documentary you hear something like that alone and you go, there's something very twisted here about understanding um, who God is and even what his creation is in terms of its value. Right. But again, that's also classic Gnosticism, right? Like this physical life and material objects and things we can see and touch and smell, they just don't really matter. They're of less value than the invisible. Right. All right. I want you to continue. Sounds good. So uh, this is the point at which uh, smaller ears can tune back. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to go on to, uh, we talked a little bit about secret knowledge necessary for salvation. So most false teachers uh, don't give this an air of intellectualism. I think one of the reasons that Gothard was able to sell uh, his teachings was because he wrapped it in an air of intellectualism. So what he referred to this as was rhemas. Hmm. So earlier you talked about, uh, you know, how God talks to us and what his word is. So uh, there is a, uh, you know, it's interesting because for many years, uh, IBLP had an article up about what is a rhema. And then uh, Ginger Duggar's book, uh, Becoming Free Indeed, came out and she referenced it in there. And since then, the article has been pulled down. Wow. So uh, we do thank God for the Wayback Machine because we are able to get to old versions of yeah. that uh, article. And in that article, uh, that he makes a distinction between logos versus rhema. So he defines logos as the written word. He defines rhema as what the Holy Spirit tells you. Now, we certainly recognize that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, Right. But the way that this gets applied is that whatever's coming through your head is coming from the Holy Spirit. And what he tells you, one one of the distinct things that you have to look at in in those uh, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is, is what the Holy Spirit telling you consistent with God's written word. Uh, And uh, so I'm going to read just a little excerpt from the article that uh, that's out there about the rhema. And uh, just warning, what I'm about to say is falsity. This is a quote. In the regular course of our daily reading of God's word, Logos, we need to ask God to speak to us through his word and give us insight into it. 
The Holy Spirit can cause certain passages to stand out with significant meaning or application for our lives. These are the rhemas of Scripture and should become part of our daily thoughts and actions. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound too bad. The devil is in the details. And where that devil is, is significant meaning or application for our lives. There is nothing here that says, compare what that perceived meaning and application is back to the written word. So it is absolutely personal revelation, secret knowledge. So I, I've got a background in the charismatic world, and I think actually in a church that I've, actually, I've realized as I'm learning about IBLP that there are specific things that I'm th- realizing I think those were from Gothard's teaching. And even this, I mean, this is so much of the, um, you know, what is popularly called the charismatic world, right? You have your Bible, but then you have the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your mind and your heart. Um, and in my experience in that world, uh, it turned into, uh, and, and, and the thing that was always said with it was, if you want to know if it's the Holy Spirit, just compare it to scripture. As long as it doesn't contradict scripture, it's probably, maybe, might be, of course it is the Holy Spirit, you know, you're never quite sure. Um, but what I found that it always led to was essentially two sources of equal divine revelation. Absolutely. You have the Bible, and then you have these secret words that they say technically are not divine revelation, but then in practice, you treat them like divine revelation, even though you're never quite sure if it's the Holy Spirit. Well, and if there's any ambiguity, uh, it leans to the side of the rhema, not the logos. Yeah, and... It was always, the feeling was always, if I don't follow this secret word, I'm just going to plateau in my Christian life. And so there was always that Gnostic reality of like, you are trying to get to like the higher life, the next level, the next place of, of glory and sanctification. And the key, you can't just follow God's word. You have to have this secret knowledge from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's uh, some latent video gamer... Uh you know, going on there where they got to level up, uh, level up their spiritual life instead of their game. For sure. Yeah. All right. So you've got all of this reality going on the the Gnostic stuff and, and their understanding of creation and the body surely was feeding into what the documentary really focused on, which was a lot of the sexual immorality and abuse. Uh, you've got this, uh, reality with that kind of Gnosticism of secret messages, uh, Kind of unpack a bit in more detail uh, how that gets paired with the legalism. Sure. So we're kind of, just for sake of time, we're going to focus on Sproul's third leg there, which is uh, adding adding legislation to God's law and treat it as divine law. law. Uh, And we're going to focus, uh, there's all sorts of uh, things that we could focus on in this, but we're going to focus on the three things that Gothard himself seemed to consider the most important. So we're going to talk about his authority diagram, uh, the dangers of rock music, and the definition of grace. So starting out with uh, with the authority diagram. So it's floated around the internet. It's amazing how many churches you see where some version of the authority diagram mm-hmm. uh, comes through. And generally, you know, since we're not video here, it's it's you kind of have to picture this. But you generally see the biggest umbrella is God, uh, below that is probably the church. 
Uh, below that is the father. Below that is the mother. Below that is the kids. Mm-hmm. The diagram kind of changed over the years, and there's different versions of it out there, but it generally follows that that progression. So what does the Bible teach about authority? So certainly there are verses about it. You know, Romans 13 says to obey the uh, obey the higher authorities. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, wives obey your husbands. Of course, they tend to ignore the husbands love your wives as like Christ loved the church. Right. But, you know, uh, it, you know, children obey your parents. So, so there certainly are scriptures about authority, but the way Gothard puts those together in the diagram is insidious. Yeah. Because what it does is rather than having uh, separate commands that define our responsibilities to other people in our lives, he sets it up as a hierarchy such that children can't really go through the father. They have to go through the mother. The mother can't mm-hmm. really go to the church. They have to go through the father. Um, and of course, while this was never put on a diagram, the reality was that Bill Gothard kind of sat between uh, For sure. everybody and God. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that would never be on a diagram, but that was the practical outworking of things. That seemed clear on the documentary. Yes. Gothard was basically, there was God, and then there was Gothard. Correct. Yeah. So uh, combined with that is uh, they really leaned on uh, the definition of obedience as uh, instant, complete, and cheerful. So that sounds nice, but when you analyze it, uh, when certain adults ask children to do certain things that are inappropriate, yeah, they don't, because they have been drilled to be uh, and I'm being vague here, but you, you can think back to earlier in the episode what we were talking about. Um, when they are told to do things, they are conditioned to do it instantly, without questioning, and with a happy face. Yep. So the definition of obedience sets up abuse. Mm-hmm. I think, too, so I've learned some of my own parenting. And I, I think that, actually, if, if someone's never heard of Shiny Happy People, the Duggars, nothing. I think especially parents of kids, that is going to be the biggest connection point. Maybe just now in this episode that that people's eyes are opened to go, oh my goodness, I know Gothard's teaching because that's the definition that I've heard of how to parent my kids is, you know, what, what a lot of times, like a, a lot of times people say first time obedience, right. right? Immediate, quick, cheerful, complete. Right. If there's one thing I've learned parenting you know, I've got four boys now, one, three of them, you know, uh, one of them's baby, but the, here's, what's interesting about that is what you take out of it is reason. Meaning you're not looking at this child as someone who can reason and think. Correct. Which means, and, and you don't want them to, you want them to look at you as the authority, whatever you say, I do not think about it. I, I can't reason with you. I can't make an appeal. I can't say, you know, okay, dad, you want me to do this, but can I ask this? Which is exactly what you're saying, that as long as you keep that child from reasoning and thinking, you can ask them to do sinful things, and, and their brain is then programmed to go instant, complete, cheerful. Yeah, and Gother did have a um, some caveats in there about how to make a wise appeal, Uh and I think he did even have some things about going up the chain of authority, but they were absolute. They were very narrow exceptions, 
uh, in in practice, they were not practiced. Well, how could they? I mean, in, in the in the documentary, there's the whole practice of taking a six month old baby, putting them on a blanket, blanket training, yeah, pl- putting a toy out there and disciplining them for go for doing what God made them to do, designed well, them to do. Well, and and they say it kind of quick, so I think some people missed it. But it's not just putting them on the blanket; it's putting something that you know they are going to want off the blanket and requiring them to sit still with a smile on their face and not go after the thing. That is, if you've had a six-month-old baby, you and I both have gone through that multiple times. Absolutely. Demonic. Absolutely demonic. Demonic. So let me give just a little bit of, uh, flesh that out just a little bit. So the instant, complete, cheerful, that uh, definition came from the Ezos, who the Institute used early on. They weren't exactly great with the Ezos, but it was the best thing at the time. Um, I don't remember exactly when Michael Pearl came along, but uh, I'm not going to repeat how they describe Michael and Debbie Pearl in the documentary because this is a family-friendly show, but uh, they are demonic. Uh, uh, did the Ezos write... Uh, to train up a child. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Ezos wrote, Ez, Ezos wrote Growing Kids God's Way. Growing Kids God's Way. Right. So that, that's also one of the most popular ways, you know, Gother didn't write it, but from what I understand, that's... Or, or early on, he certainly promoted it. Uh, until Michael and Debbie Pearl came along with to train a patrol and those people are just absolutely demonic. I don't mean to go down this rabbit hole yeah. of the authority parenting, but to me it it, it makes me want to cry. Like so, when I think about So I'm going to twist that knife just a little bit. So this is also very patriarchal. And there is never a clear definition for when as a man you are no longer your fa- under your father's authority and the reason for that yeah. is because you were never outside of your father's authority and i'm going to give one example jim sammons who was the vice president of iblp for many many years told a story where uh when he was about 12 years old his father told him i don't ever want you to go buy a motorcycle and uh he grows up his dad passes away he's in his early 40s and he goes by and guys buys a dirt bike and he crashes it and breaks his arm and he says that that was God punishing him for violating his father's command. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they talk about this in the documentary. We can move on. But, it you know, it seems like there is a point that the woman leaves her family to come under the authority of her new husband. But that's interesting that there's no... There's no exit for the guy. For the man, there's no exit. Right. It's just you're always got to ask daddy if you can get a mo- motorcycle when you're 50. Right. Okay. Uh, dangers of rock music. Yeah. So... Oh my goodness. So for some reason, Gothard got completely tied up over rock music. Now, first of all, let's let, when he says rock music, it's not the same as what you and I are thinking. What he means by rock music is any music with a beat. So we're talking jazz, we're talking rock, we're talking pop, we're talking anything um, that would be considered normal music. So uh, he, he has a book... Uh, that's you know overcoming the addiction of rock music. And in that book, he makes the statement that rock music is more addictive than cocaine, backed up by a survey of students. Um, he then goes on to show, uh, which by the way, if you think about this, in the 80s and 90s, lots of people would say, I'm addicted to jelly beans, right? Or whatever, whatever the thing was. That doesn't mean that they were addicted in the technical sense. Right. So, uh, you know, he probably twisted some, uh, yeah. uh, some of that. But uh, he then, you know, it, he doesn't really back that up very well. But then he goes on to show how to conquer the strongholds of Satan in your life. So 
I am going to read uh, directly from uh, pages in that book because this is uh, the the level of heresy here is uh, crazy. So, and and this is the stronghold diagram. You will see it in many of his uh, many of his stuff, but uh, he states this. At salvation, God's spirit enters our spirit, and we are born again. Then we have an ongoing need to transform our soul. When a person gives way to anger, greed, or immorality, he gives jurisdictional area, ground, to Satan and his soul. Satan then builds his strongholds or false ideas on this ground, which becomes the basis of wrong decisions. Once wrong ideas are carried out in word or deed, tormentors afflict other areas of the soul. Then on the next page, he says, uh, and this is, number, this is page 30, number two, claim the blood of Christ for each sin. Believers are cleansed from all sin at salvation. Further sins give Satan undeserved authority in the soul, but we can overcome Satan by Christ's blood and by our testimony about his blood. So what he is setting up is that you turn over a new leaf at salvation. All your sins are forgiven. And in that, he's absolutely right. But he then fails to recognize that sins after salvation are covered by Christ's blood mm-hmm. unless you confess each and every one. I remember, and I don't remember which verse he said this on, but in Matthew Henry, his commentary, he makes the statement that we are not aware of even a fraction of our sins. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be true in my own life. Yeah. So if that is true... And for us to maintain salvation, we have to confess every sin. There is no way that we will ever maintain our salvation. Right. I mean, dude, uh, this is totally rewinding the Protestant Reformation. You've got Martin Luther spending hours and hours and hours in the confession booth with his priest because he feels in order to have a right relationship with God, I've got to confess every single little sin. So he spends hours, he goes home, his walk home, and he remembers another sin, and you start all over again. Absolutely. So we are literally just rewinding back to Roman Catholicism that, yeah, you got in by grace, but you stay in by toil and working and laboring. Yeah, and if he thinks a lustful thought on his way out of confessional and gets run over by a wild carriage, he's going to hell. Gone. Right. Okay, um... And I'm pretty sure rock music's not more addicted than cocaine. I mean, there's not many people that have like destroyed their lives and like, man, it was the rock music. Exactly. I think it was the cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, definition of grace. Yeah. So grace has been, desi- has been defined as uh, God's unmerited favor. That is the classic biblical definition. Gothard and IBLP do not define it that way. They define it as the power and desire to do God's will. So let's break that apart a little bit. First of all, you will notice the word do in there. So grace becomes performative. It is about something that that you are performing. Also notice that it is you that is doing it. It is not God that is working and willing of his good pleasure in you. Okay, here's what's... This is this gets personal for me. Uh, in my charismatic world, every time grace was defined, this is how it was defined. 
Grace is getting what you don't deserve. True. And every single time what was added to that and the power of God at work in you to change you and and make you better. Right. Um, The effect of that is here's the thing. Uh, is the forgiveness of our sins grace? Yes. And is God's work in our lives to sanctify us a work of grace? Yes. However, in my own personal life, in my charismatic days, when those were always paired, you start to, again, go back to Roman Catholicism. How am I saved? I'm saved not only by forgiveness, but by God working in me to change me, to make me a better person, which, by the way, I partner with him in that. I have a certain level of like... Uh, you know, we hold hands and we do this together. And if I don't uphold my part of the deal, I'm not going to be saved, right? right? And so grace is not mere, it's not solely the work of God. It's not solely the work of justifying ungodly people. It is, yes, justifying ungodly people and plus ungodly people with his help making themselves better, which is the infusion of grace. This is, again, going back to Roman Catholicism. Yeah, sanctification is a work of God's Holy Spirit, not us. And sanctification is also a part of how we're saved, right? It's like, I not only need to be justified, uh, my sanctification is a part of how I uh, earn, you know, uh, more grace and God's grace and in eternal life. Okay. uh, So we talked about Gnosticism, got broken that down a little bit, talked about legalism. Uh, I want to get into the prosperity gospel stuff and kind of how that played out. Sure. Gothard would always say, if you do X you will receive the blessing of God. If you follow the commands of Christ, he had this whole commands of Christ thing, uh, you will follow the blessing of God. If you do this, you will get the blessing of God. Everything that uh, he asked you to do was followed up with a promise of God's blessing. So, yeah, he wasn't asking you directly to contribute to his organization financially. He was asking you to follow his rules as a prerequisite to God's blessing. That's prosperity gospel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's and that's also, man, what is what's insidious about that too is when you wrap it up all together with the Gnosticism and the legalism, right? Like because think about what's on the line for someone. Cause and I know we'll get kind of get into this of how did hundreds of thousands and millions of people get so hooked by this? Well, think about it. Why why I know the formula to build a mega church. It is not hard. Nope. It is very easy. Um, and, and one of the easy ways is tell people that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will become fill in the blank rich. You will get this blessing because people go, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm going to get rich or I'm going to have X, Y, and Z blessing. And there's a formula, a guaranteed formula. And if I do, dude, you could tell me to do anything. You know what I mean? That's that's why I believe Gothard was successful because he always had, he loved the number seven. Seven steps to this, 49 of this, uh, 10 of this, three of this, six of that. And it was always guaranteed checklists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we love that. We love guaranteed formulas how do I essentially put God in my control and put him in my debt? Well, if you just do X, Y, and Z, he has to, yep. uh, you know, bless you in this certain way. And all you have to do is look no further than Jesus, who was perfect and sinless. Uh, he went to the cross. Uh, you look at the apostles, the disciples' lives, godly men, and had some rough goes 
so, so it's in- hang on. It's interesting you say yeah. that. I want to connect that and roll back to the authority diagram for a second. So one logical catch that that uh, some people got Gothard in was Gothard had made the uh, made the teaching that when Jesus was in the temple talking to the uh, you know, as as a kid talking to the Pharisees that he was out from under the authority of his parents. And they, they pointed out that if that was the case, then Jesus had sinned and therefore was not God. And Gothard could not answer that. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Let's start to wrap this up. Sounds good. So for this episode. Yeah. So uh, I there's a couple of things that I want to run through here fairly quickly. So if you watch Shiny Happy People, episode two, uh, at minute marker 2156, uh, there is a short clip where Gothard says, uh, that porn has done uh, more damage than 100 Hitlers. So now that we have the background of everything we've talked about, yeah. I want to break down, you know, because that sounds like such a crazy statement. Now that we, we have the background, let's break down how, how he probably got there. Mm-hmm. Number one, you have a physical body, and then you have your spiritual self. Number two, material is evil, spiritual is good. Okay? Number three... Hitler could damage your body, but not your soul or spirit. Four, porn damages your soul and spirit. Ergo, porn is more damaging than Hitler. So I think it's helpful to take one of the crazy statements yeah. that Gother makes and uh, and break it down so you can kind of see where, where he went from point A yeah. to point Z. Yep. So uh, we should answer the question, is IBLP a cult? IBLP a cult. So uh, there are generally four hallmarks of a cult. Uh, one is authoritarian control. Number two is extremist beliefs. Three is isolation from society. And four is veneration of a single individual. So I think we've proved one, two, and four. We didn't really talk too much about isolation from society. We'll get into that in a future episode. Uh, but 100%, IBLP is a cult. It is not Christianity. Break down really quickly, because we'll get into it later. But... Uh that isolation from society. Cause we've seen that authoritarian control. Mm-hmm. You, you at least see it in practice and that practice is not, um, you know, you see people borderline worship Gothard and that practice doesn't seem to be, um, rebuked, right? It seems to be welcome and accepted, right? You see the extremist beliefs. I mean, dude, if someone tells me to put my six month old on a blanket and put a toy in front of them and spank them, if they go get it, it's an extremist belief, right? So we've seen that, Veneration of a single individual, you have that with Gothard a little bit, a minute or two on the isolation from society. Sure. So this is not immediately obvious because unlike a lot of cults, they're not all sitting on a compound singing Kumbaya, right? They are out in society. We were we were required to be in local churches. He even used the language under the, under the authority of the local church. That was really marketing for the cult. But the isolation came in in that we were inculcated that if somebody said something against uh, Gothard or the cult or the teachings of the cult, they were wrong. Mm-hmm. D- don't think about it. It was just that th- they are not teaching scripture. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't a physical isolation. It was a mental isolation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You can have that. I've, I've experienced worlds like that where, I mean, it goes back to how they raise their kids, instant, cheerful, complete obedience. And the minute you start to question, ask questions, raise just genuine questions, all of a sudden you can tell there's this cold shoulder isolation. 
you're, oh, are you not a part of the group? Are you outside the circle? You right. know, because we don't really have dealings without people outside the circle. Um, all right, Jason, I'll give you the last word to wrap it up for this episode. Great. We're going to do more. Perfect. So it is relatively rare that scripture will make a statement and come right back and repeat the same statement in the next verse. However, we have an example of it here. Galatians 1, 8 and 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That word accursed is anathema. The modern colloquial way of translating that would be let him be damned. Paul was saying, damn those guys. And if Paul was around today, he would say, damn Bill Gothard. Next episode, you know what I think we need to do? I think we need to talk about the place of the gospel in IBLP or the lack thereof. Sounds good to me. All right. Until next time. Peace. Peace.